Welcome. Uh, this is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is George Holmes. And George is the CEO of Resonant Inc. And for those not familiar uh, with Resonant, George, can you please tell us a little bit about the company? Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, Jeff. We are a tools, technology, and team company focused on solving critical RF problems. And we focus on delivering differentiated solutions for filters, which is the fastest-growing segment of the RF filter market. Okay. And then, you know, for, for those not that familiar with the industry, tell us a little bit about what an RF filter is and the, and the, the part that, that you play in that. Ah, okay. So let me kind of give you a macro view first. We'll talk about the, the market and it, the, kind of where it is today and where it's going. The RF filter market is about a $19 billion market today, going to about $40 billion by 2025. The filter component of that is about 70% of that, and the filter component is about $12 billion going to $28 billion. And what filters do, simply said, it's what allows signals to get to your phone and get to where they're supposed to in the phone. Filters are those fences, as it were, that keep your cellular signals away from your GPS signals, away from your Wi-Fi signals, and allow that to get to your phone uh, at the time it's supposed to. Okay. Okay. And so that large a market, um, there's got to be a lot of players in it. Can you tell us a little bit about the competitive uh, landscape and, and where you fit in? Yeah, I mean, from a competitive landscape perspective, the interesting thing about our our business is that we don't have any direct competitors. Um, you know, when we look at the competitive landscape, we look at companies that might have EDA solutions or software solutions for this segment or might have IP that is being licensed in this segment. And there's no one really doing that today. I mean, our competitors typically are customers' engineering teams, and when we've work with them and convince them that by working with us, one plus one equals more than two, and we can solve these very complex problems very efficiently and more cost-effectively, that's when we you know, create a customer. So, so where are you um, in, the, in the stages of this process? Um, do you have product on the market, or do you have design-ins that are in process? Yeah, it's a, a great question. So. If you look at the business since I joined in 2016, uh, in 2016 we had no customers. The technology was at its infancy. Since that point in time, we now have over 10 customers, over 80 designs contracted. Um, the overall value of the designs we have under contract in the end market to about uh, a little bit greater than $500 million. Um, and so when we look at kind of where we are, we've got the contracts designed, We've started the development of these products. We're seeing these products reach into the marketplace. Uh, we're in the early stages of ramping royalty revenues. This year, uh, in the first half, uh, we saw that the third quarter had greater uh, unit volumes than the entire first half. So in the third quarter, we shipped about a million and a half units, and we expect that trend to continue. So really kind of at that apex and transition point from product development into delivery of products to our customers and seeing our customers ramp those products into the marketplace. So so when you win a new customer, are, are you winning on price or design, or what constitutes a, a good design? Well, if you look at kind of where we fit from a licensing perspective, um, you know, our, our royalty rates are three to five times higher than the, the biggest 
licensors or uh, licensors of technology in the industry. So, you know, the ARMs, the SIVAs, the Tesseras, or Xperia's of the world, you know, are happy to get one and a half percent royalties. Our average royalty rates range from as low as five percent to as high as twenty percent. Um, so, as you sit back and look at, you know, kind of what we're able to do, we do that based on the power of our our software and our IP that we're licensing, and, and those things really enable our customers to do things they couldn't do themselves. And so w- when, you, when you have a win, does that become proprietary to you, or is that exclusive to the, to the customer? Um, well, so for example, um, when we do a design for a given customer, if it's a custom design, that would be a design that only they have access to but we license that design to them, so we retain ownership of the IP. But we do have standard products as well, which we license to a multitude of different customers. So it's kind of twofold, full customs and standard product licenses. Gotcha. And and then who are your customers? Um, Great question. Everybody wants to know. We don't really talk about who our customers are. Well, generically Um, then. And more generically, if you look at the vertically integrated filter manufacturers, obviously, there's about 10 to 12 big ones. We happen to have signed an agreement with the largest filter manufacturer uh, in the world. Uh, We did that in the middle part of this year. We we tend not to talk about them specifically um, because they uh, they have asked us not to, but you can find that – you can find that press release on our on our website, and, and we can speak about them in kind of in the macro sense. They they own forty percent market share, so they're not a hard guy to find. I see. Uh, n- not to name names, but uh, but Broadcom uh, is, had mentioned recently that they're they're selling their RF chip business. Does that have much of an impact on you or the overall market? Well, I think it's going to have a tremendous impact on the overall market. You've got you know, Broadcom Avago that has historically been, you know, kind of the leader in the industry with their FBAR technology. And now they've taken it from a strategic asset to a financial asset. And so as you look at what that means, they're they're looking to sell that asset. Uh, and so there will be a number of players that look at that technology to see if it makes sense for them to add that to their portfolio. We think it's tremendous validation of what we've been saying over the last six months that, you know, FBAR and your standard BOT technologies will not support the bandwidth required for 5G. And so, you know, the tremendous amount of investment that would be necessary to kind of keep pace with the fastest growing segment in the marketplace just made it such that, you know, they have decided to exit that segment. Um, We think that's great validation for us because, you know, we have got what we believe is technology that is the only uh, technology that will support the requirements of 5G on a go-forward basis. And the fact that uh, Broadcom is going to be out there marketing their business unit to others will allow us to go in and say, hey, we can do that exact same thing, and we're a fraction of the price. And then 5G itself, um, is that going to be a growth driver for you? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a growth driver, I think, for everybody in the marketplace if we sit back and look what's happening. Um, you know, the good news for us is it's 5G is based on high frequency, large bandwidth, and high power. And that is a you know, fundamental characteristic of our, 
IDT or interdigitated uh, transducer membrane technology uh, that we we introduced the first products uh, leveraging that technology uh, at Mobile World Congress this past year with our XFAR uh, resonator solutions. And, and that is really uh, a, a set of technology that we believe will be the mainstay for companies trying to compete in 5G on a go-forward basis. Gotcha. So I imagine um, you're not just targeting the U.S. You, you're targeting to sell throughout the world, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, and most of our customers are based in Asia, um, Japan, Taiwan, Korea, and China. And how about tariffs? Um, is that an issue or a concern? You know, not at this time. I mean, we've been through, you know, um, we've been through CFIUS, uh, a CFIUS evaluation in a great deal of detail. That was one of the uh, major things that we had to overcome when we took the investment from uh, this Tier 1 filter manufacturer as they are an overseas entity. And so we, we have gone through the CFIUS evaluation, and we have a great legal and consulting team that, monitors this for us. And while there's new regulations coming out periodically, um, at this point in time, we think we're in very good shape. Okay. Are, are there any major challenges? Mm. You know, startup companies. So obviously startup companies are, you know, are in great peril until they get into, you know, self-sustaining mode. And, you know, I think the real challenge for a royalty business is it just takes time. And, you know, nobody's patience for time, uh, has patience for time, and that's us included, which is why we've done a number of things to shorten that time to revenue, whether it be working with our customers to do end product qualification or now in our most recent agreements doing prepays because we want to take that Uncertainty, uncertainty in the typical royalty model off the table. You know, royalty models, the, the thing that you have control over is the development of the product to spec and delivering that to your customer. What you don't have control over is your customer's ability to attract customers in the end OEM market. So you're dependent on them. So what we've done is, in both cases is either help them get qualification at the OEMs or in some cases now gotten prepaid so that if they sell the product, we get additional opportunity, and if they don't, we get paid anyway. Okay. And are you doing this on your own, or do you have any partners? Um, well, partners, customers, I mean, currently today, over 10 customers currently uh, that we're working with. Um, from a partnership perspective, kind of the more generic way people look at that is people that help you get your products and technology into the market. Uh, in addition to customers, we have a relationship uh, with AWR. Uh, we announced that in the first half of this year where we've integrated our IP standard library into their platform. And by doing so, that enables their customers to take those standard designs and drop them into potential overall RF front-end solutions that they're designing using the AWR platform. The thing we're excited about is we were very excited about the AWR relationship when they were part of National Instruments. Now that they're part of Cadence or soon to be part of Cadence, um, we think that's going to create even greater opportunity for us. Great. And then I, I thought I saw some news on Murata. Could you give us some color on that? 
Yeah. Um, I'll point people back to our website to look at that press release in, in detail. Um, we, do, uh, we do talk about them more generically as the largest manufacturer of RF filters. Um, they do have 40% market share. Uh, that deal that we did uh, is fully detailed on our website in our, in our quarterly reports, and there is a redacted version of that contract uh, in our latest queue. But you know, to give you kind of some of the publicly uh, available information on that, they did a uh, $7 million investment in the company. Um, they did that, we believe, because they believe in the strategic nature of what we're doing with our 5G technology. Uh, that provided them a 30-month exclusive in the field of mobile uh, and mobile only um, uh, for that 5G res resonator technology. Uh, in addition, the, they signed a contract, uh, a commercial agreement for the development of four bands. Those four bands uh, have a $9 billion prepay associated with them, uh, and we've already received a first payment of $2 million, which happened uh, at the beginning of this quarter. Sounds like uh, you got a lot more than money from them. We think it's a, a tremendous strategic opportunity. Um, great validation, not only uh, of the technology, but also in the marketplace. I mean, we had you know, a number of customers that were repeat customers, but I think what this did is it, it validated what we were doing in the biggest way possible uh, with the other players in the industry. Um, nobody expected when we were engaged with all the major players coming out of Mobile World Congress that Murata would move faster than everybody else. Um, Clearly, we didn't think they would. Um, you know, it's not typical, but I think that is really speaks to the power of the technology. And and the other thing that we think uh, about that relationship is it creates new opportunities from an investor perspective. Um, there's a new class of investors that are looking at the the business now. Uh, we have engagement with much larger funds that are currently engaged and 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 focus on what. Um, they are doing, Nerada is doing in the marketplace, uh, obviously a 40% share player that has been touted as one of the ones that is principally uh, capitalizing on the disruption in the overall Asian market uh, that has been created by the, the, the trade situation between the U.S. and China. Um, you know, that creates additional opportunity for us, and we're very excited about it. Yeah, you know, all companies need money, but your model doesn't seem to be capital hungry. I mean, you're designing, correct? Or, or, or are you building chips as well? Well, you know, great, great point. Um, we are not capital intensive. If you look at us, we're a people business for sure. Um, that's where, um, you know, all of our, our money is spent. And one of the things that we're doing with the licensing of designs, because we have created a foundry model, you know, this, you know, pure play uh, leveraging pure play foundries, leveraging the packaging houses that are out there, we can actually take products to customers on a white label basis and never have to take ownership of the devices. So unlike your traditional uh, fabless company, we have the ability to do all the work uh, to get those devices designed, developed, and deployed and not have to take the inventory on hand. So much, much more efficient, very much closer to our standard royalty business, which is why we think we're going to be able to maintain very high gross margins as we uh, ramp the business. 
So, so what is your, your revenue model? So it's twofold. I mean, if you sit back and look at what we're doing, um, it's, well, let me say this, it's multifaceted. Um, we are a licensing company. We license devices on a per-unit royalty basis. Um, we have also demonstrated that we can take that and take it one step closer to predictability by doing prepays. We did that with the most recent deal. I think you'll see us doing more deals of that type where we take uh, prepays from customers that want to license designs. And then we've also said that we're going to consider delivering solutions on a white label basis or perhaps even direct uh, to OEMs themselves. And the real reason there is we've got this tremendous value that we're creating with the IP. And um, from, a, from a top line perspective, we want to take advantage of it. I mean, if you sit back and look at it, if we do um, you know, $1 million in royalty revenue um, and we're a 10% royalty, uh, average royalty rate, you know, that's $10 million in top line revenue. Um, you know, I think for our investors and, and you know, and for the business in, in, in its entirety, um, you know, that's that's pretty meaningful. Um, you know, two three million dollars in royalty revenue is twenty to thirty million dollars in top line uh, equivalents. So if we do a blended model where we get a combination of uh, direct royalties and some white label and some um, direct business, I think you'll see a uh, blend that allows us to aggressively move on growing top-line revenues as well as maintaining a very efficient uh, model when it comes to uh, gross margin. So uh, in terms of gross margin, I know it's hard when you're talking about a blend, but where do you think it, they ought to land percent-wise? You know, uh, you know, 70 plus percent on the blend, 80 plus percent if you just do royalties and prepaid royalties, for sure. I think that uh, I think that's not out of the question. And, and when you have prepaid royalties, um, you're not entirely mortgaging the future, or or are you? I mean, you're getting. I, I assume it's for a certain volume, and you get paid after that. Well, there's 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 two types of uh, prepaid royalties. One could be, you know, a fixed amount, which you would tend to get a higher dollar volume up front uh, as part of the prepay, which would say for these devices, you're going to take a fixed dollar amount and you'll get no upside. Um, but you would get a bigger chunk of money for those. And then you've got prepays that might say, okay, we're going to take a smaller amount and then we'll take a reduced royalty rate on the go forward. And we're doing, uh, we're looking at both types of agreements. Uh, in 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 reality, we sit back and look at the the biggest players in the marketplace have the wherewithal, i.e., the resources to pay you large amounts of money up front. Um, and and so you know, obviously, if we can capitalize on that, we want to do that. Um, and then you know, for some of the other companies that we're working with, we might take you know, a smaller amount so that we can also capitalize on the, uh, you know, go forward from an ongoing royalty rate. And you might see that that might make a lot of sense uh, if you're doing business with some of the major tier one players in, in China, for example. Okay. Uh, when we look out over the next year, any uh, events or catalysts that we should watch for? You know, it's a great question. I mean, as we sit back and look at 
kind of what's happened over the last 18 months, we've had some pretty significant catalysts, you know, with multiple devices ending up in Tier 1 phones, ramping royalty units of our early designs, uh, delivering 5G technology, new cutting-edge technology in less than 12 months, and delivering on the promise of uh, getting a Tier 1 customer to contract and ultimately prepay for designs. I think that is pretty significant for investors to be mindful of as they look at kind of where we're priced today. I think there's a significant opportunity for uh, people to participate in a what I believe is going to be a tremendous growth story. But I think what you can see from us on, on a go-forward basis clearly is going to be more agreements with Tier 1 customers that take advantage of our uh, IP that uh, delivers solutions on a prepaid royalty basis into some of the major markets. I think you'll see additional opportunities uh, coming down the pike for high-frequency devices, in particular 5G devices. I think you'll see, as I've noted on our previous conference calls, that we will be delivering our first 5G devices based on our XBAR technology uh, to non-mobile applications in the first half. So lots of exciting stuff coming here in the near future. Okay. Uh, anything I didn't ask that you think would be important for the listeners? No, I think you got a, a lot of good questions here. And I, I, what I would leave people with is I think that uh, where we find ourselves today is at the, you know, at the kind of at the precipice of a, a very unique opportunity. Um, not only the fact that uh, we've licensed our technology to one of the largest players in the world uh, uh, for, for our new XBAR technology, the fact that we have got a number of new things happening uh, uh, technology-wise. I really think this is a, a company that is poised for greatness here in, in 2020, and we're very excited to have uh, you and your listeners uh, interested in what it is that we're doing. Well, thank you. Um, thanks for sharing that. And happy holidays to you. Happy holidays.